Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome to River Valley, man. If you're a guest with us, I'm so thankful that you are here. You can go ahead and be turning your Bibles. Second uh, Peter today, Second Peter chapter one, and uh, Jesus is going to tell Peter in this section. He's going to tell us why he's writing this letter, and the reason is is that Jesus has told Peter that his time is short. In other words, that he's about to die. And so now that's true for all of us. I mean, we are all about to die. I mean, if you look in the grand scheme of things, even if we live another 80 years, we are truly, truly uh, heading towards death. But Peter knows that that is imminent. So he writes the book of 2 Peter for that reason. In other, he wants to make sure that his life is remembered correctly. And so I thought of that old commercial, Tombstone Pizza, what do you want on your tombstone? Just that kind of idea. You know, what? what is it that you want to be remembered for? So I found some, some good examples here. Let me look at these. Um, this one I love. says, I raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom and still there was love. That is a good mom right there. So that is a good mom. So uh, another one. This one isn't funny. It's just awesome. So here lies Samuel Whittemore. He was 80 years old. He killed three British soldiers April 19, 1776, but he was shot bayoneted, beaten, and left for dead. Yet he recovered and lived to be the 98 years of age. So that's a survivor right there. That's a survivor. So uh, if you know Mel Blanc, he is uh, Looney Tunes, and on his tombstone, that's all, folks. And so uh, my favorite is the last one, though, is a good message for us. It says, here I lie, but don't you cry, for one day, too, you will die. And then on the, on the bottom, it says, is he dead yet? And so, <laughs> and then this is a reality, like we are going to die. We're, we're going to uh, perish. Uh, now, what I want to make sure that we understand about what we're about to read is that, is that Peter is not trying to make sure that his legacy is secure for what he's remembered for. All right, so if you know that time is short and you are making amends at the last moment, trying to kind of clear up, then, then you've really done life wrong. That's not what Peter is trying to do here. Peter is very secure in how he will be remembered, but he is writing now so that future generations will remember what he spoke about, who he was and his message. So I want us to look at that. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Peter says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and you're established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you will be able to recall these things at any time after my departure. So, Three questions that I want to ask out of this text that it leads us to. The first question from this is, is what's your life message? What's your life message? In other words, Peter's very secure about how he will be remembered, but what will you remember about his life? So he writes the entire book of 2 Peter, so he's like, remember this, remember this, remember this. And he has this, he's crafting this idea of this life message. For my followers that come after me, 
what will you remember? It's his life message. That's what the book of 2 Peter is. Now, for you and I, uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about at River Valley is generational Christianity. We want our life message to be that I follow Jesus and the generations that come after followed me in following Jesus. In other words, I didn't just say, hey, you guys go follow Jesus, but I follow Jesus as an example for you to know how to do that well. And so I thought of uh, one of the few mementos that I actually was able to keep uh, when uh, we lost, you know, when we lost our home in the fire, uh, we lost you know, all of, or most of the things uh, that we were given over the years. But this uh, was in my office, and so I didn't, I didn't lose this memento. This was given to me, and on the, on the uh, front cover inscription, it says, this Bible was presented to Cody Neal Whitful on the 22nd day of December 1983 by Granny and Granddad. This is a reminder of the legacy of the family in which I was born into. And this wasn't my granny and granddad saying, hey, you should read that. It's good. This was my granny and granddad saying, we have found life and living in this book, and we want to hand it to you. Now, I was 10 years old. I, I don't remember, to, to be honest with you, I don't remember receiving this, this Bible. Let's be honest, when you're 10 years old, you're hoping for Star Wars and Legos. So I probably got both of those things. But I praise God that this was given to me, and I praise God for the memory of who gave it to me. See, when my grandmother was at the end of her life, I remember her taking breathing treatments, but sitting down at a table and using that time to read the Bible. When my granddad, even late in his life, he lived to be uh, in his mid-90s, and I remember he's still praying. He was still reading his Bible in his late 80s. He, he was losing his sight, and so he had a, a big magnifying glass. When that didn't work, he was listening to the Bible on audio, but he was still absorbing the Word of God and this, this idea of generational Christianity. Now, you might be here today and say, I didn't receive that. I didn't get that. Well, listen— the message today is not, I got these things and I'm going to pass it on. The message is, I have these things and I'm going to pass it on. You can start this generation in, or this, this legacy in your generation. You might not have received it, but you can start it today and leave a generational Christianity. That's what Peter's leaving. He's saying, I want you to remember these things, to be able to easily remember these things. Now, he gives us a hint in the way that you do that. He says in verse uh, 15, I'll make every effort so that you're able to recall these things at a time after my departure. If you want your message to stick, then here's the way it happens. You say it and 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 say it. He said, I want you to be able to recall because you remember how often I said this message. Repetition is the way for your message to sink in. Now, uh, Mel and I, we have a, a talk that we sometimes do with, with mothers of preschoolers, uh, and it's five sayings, uh, the five sayings that we grew up telling our kids when they were, they were really uh, little. And uh, we, we say these five sayings and unpack them. And if you ask our kids, do you remember them saying this, this statement? And they would say, yes, over and over. They always said it. They said, like, I mean, it was like wherever we were in whatever moment, they were always saying these things over and over. And that's, that's why they remember it. That's why they remember it. We didn't say, hey, write this down. This will be important, but you'll never hear it. It's over and over and over till it sunk in. That's what Peter's doing. He's going to remind them until it truly 
sinks in. So that's what their life, uh, that, that life message is. Second question uh, from this text is this, who do you follow? Who do you follow? In the end of your days, most people will associate with your life message in your actions and how you acted. So how, who do you follow? Read verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made it known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. We didn't follow clever myths. We followed truth. He's going to go on to say we were eyewitnesses to this truth. So we follow truth. We follow truth represented in the person of Jesus Christ and represented in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Bible. It is truth. And the Bible is very clear that what it writes is not cleverly contrived myths. These aren't stories that were made up to teach you a certain point. These aren't um, myths that grew up over time to be bigger. They actually happen in the way that they are portrayed. So Moses really did walk with the Israelites through the Red Sea as it was split in two. The ground was dry and the walls were on both sides and the Israelites walked to freedom. Joshua and the people of, of Israel really did blow horns, and, the, and one of the most powerful uh, cities in all the world, Jericho, did fall down. Jesus really was dead and lifeless in a tomb, but he came alive on the third day. These aren't myths. These are truth, and we follow truth. We follow what is right, and in the Christian world, we believe that the revelation of Jesus in, in who He was and in the, in the Scripture, this is the source of truth. We make no doubt about it. We make no bones about it. We follow truth. This is true. Now, next week, I'm going to teach you how to spot lies. I'm going to teach you how to, how to know when you are being lied to or when you are believing something that's not true. But the first step is to follow truth itself. We follow Jesus, and we didn't follow myths. We didn't follow. We followed the Jesus Christ as our Lord. That's what we did. And He came, and we follow Him in a very specific way. It says, with His power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So He literally came into the world, and then He showed us He was truly God by His power. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, man, wouldn't it have been amazing to see some of these miracles? Wouldn't it have been amazing to, to follow Jesus and to see Him in that way? But we have the same coming of uh, the, the God of the universe, because Jesus says, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when He comes, He's going to come in power. So we have that same ability to see Jesus coming, and I'm going to show you how in just a moment, to see Him coming and to experience His power. We don't live watching other people in the Bible uh, experience power. We live in the power of God right now. We live in the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. He comes in in power. And so that's who we ought to follow. Now, when you ask this question, who do you follow, let's it's church, you're supposed to say Jesus. But my encouragement to you today is to actually ask and answer it yourself. Ask and answer it yourself. Who do you truly follow? You proclaim on a Sunday when you're in church, Jesus, but who do you truly follow? Let's figure out how to do that successfully. Third question, how do you follow? How do you follow Jesus? You're like, okay, I follow Jesus. Well, how does that work? How, how do you actually do that? So verse, uh, the second part of verse 16 through, and then through the end of this section. 
So we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So how do you follow? I'm going to show you five ways in this text that it says that we follow. The very first one, we follow with our eyes. We follow with our eyes. The Bible says, we were eyewitnesses. He's simply telling people what they saw. We, we see God. We look for God, and we see Him. And he says these aren't cleverly contrived myths because we were there. We saw. We heard God speak. We saw God resurrect. We saw Him do miracles. We saw God. Now, um, I'm reading a book right now that's really helpful uh, in this. And so the book— uh, what it does for you is, is as you read Scripture, it teaches you, and it's, it's helping me. And then I'm going to stop for a moment. What was, the, what, what, what was happening in my mind's eye? And you ask the Holy Spirit, show me what was happening. And it's this, it's this way to kind of visually try to, try to see, well, God did this, or Jesus did this. I wonder what the people, what would the people's reaction be? And just, just trying to see God in that way and trying to see Him through Scripture. The Bible says we can all see God. We can see that there is a God in some of His innate ability in just the universe and just the world around us and just nature. You can see God in that way that you look around and you're like, there's this creative God that, that has brought order out of chaos. And so this is an exercise that we do. And so one of the best ways to do this is just say, God, teach me to have spiritual eyes. Teach me to have spiritual eyes. One of the songs that we sing uh, right now is, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. God, teach me. There's, there's, there's ways that you are moving right now that I could see you. Help me to see you, God, in what you're doing right now. We follow Jesus with our eyes. And then, secondly, in, verse, uh, in the second part of 17, his voice comes and says, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And then in verse 18, it says, We heard this. We follow God with our ears. Secondly, we follow God with our ears. We see him with our eyes, but we follow him with our ears. God is not mute. He wants to speak and to be heard. God wants to communicate to you. He is a speaking God, and we can learn to hear Him. So one of the prayers uh, that I've had uh, lately is I'm asking God to speak to me. So I've, I've heard God speak uh, uh, through, through time. Like I mean, when He speaks, it's this internal voice, but it's, it's very strong. It's very distinct. You're not like, was that God? I mean, I've had that on, on multiple occasions. So I've been praying that lately. God, God speak. I want to hear from you. And so what I'll do is I'll try to I'll read my Bible, I'll try to confess sin, I'll try to be right with God, I'll try to be quiet and still, which is 
that's not easy for me. I'm, I'm not ADD, but, but I, I, I can get very distracted very easily. And I'm also very impatient. I'm like, God, I've given you three seconds and you've said nothing. And so, so I can be, I, I'm being impatient. So I'm like, okay, you know, calm and relax. I really do want to hear from you. I've been doing this um, m- multiple times over the past about three weeks. And today, God said nothing in that way. I mean, I have been quiet and still, and all I have heard in quiet is quiet and stillness every single time. But then, once I, okay, I, I guess he's not going to speak in that way today. I have heard from that every single time God speak. Every single time. How? Look at verse, uh, where is it? Verse 19. We have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. When God chooses not to say an audible word to me, then I go and I read my Bible, and without fail, every time, he has told me something for that day from the word of God. Every single time. Now, I think one of these times he's probably going to speak to me, but I know every time that I read the Bible and I search after Christ, he speaks to me from the prophetic Word of God. We can hear from God. We can listen to God, but we have to pay attention. We have to be willing, and the Bible says often, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, most of us have eyes and ears. What it's saying is, are you going to use them? to truly look for and listen for God. He will speak through the prophetic word. And the Bible says it's strongly confirmed. And I'm telling you, that has happened in my life. That happens every single time God speaks to me a fresh word uh, from the Bible as I open it and read it. So we follow God with our eyes. We follow God with our ears. Number three, we follow God with our heart. We follow God with our heart. He says, we pay attention, and then he gives us an illustration, like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. We follow God with our hearts. But it's specific in how this happens in the text. It says, we follow him like we're in darkness, and he brings a light. Most of us, are, as modern people, we don't understand darkness the way the ancients did. We have lights, we have car lights, we have street lights. I mean, used to be you had to search for a flashlight, now you've got a phone. We have light everywhere, and so it just is not dark to us like it was to the ancients. You can go way out in the wild and and have it dark that way, but they lived in that all of the time, and so light was such a big deal for them, and the only light they had was lamps was oil lamps where they would light and light this wick, and it would, it would illuminate just, you know, three feet in every direction. But it would illuminate, and he says, it's like that night. It's that hard, dark season when God lights his, when, when we follow him with our heart, what happens? It rises up in our hearts. Let me give you a, a warning from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, uh, verse Uh, 16 and 17. Others are like the seed sowed on rocky ground. They hear the word and immediately they receive it in joy, but they have no root. So they're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. It's a warning 
to us who have heard the word, but when tough times come, when dark times come, we abandon Christ because we signed up for some type of God who's going to give us happiness and fulfillment in all situations at all times, and he's not going to let bad things happen to us. And we've signed up for a false God when we sign up for that. Jesus says, darkness will come, but when you are in my word, he said, I can show you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, and it will illuminate in those moments, and it will raise you up, and you will feel it rising up in your heart. Now, I have a uh, unique uh, spiritual gift. Uh, I, I have a gift. Um, God's, God shows me, because my job, uh, I have to, I, I, like, I need to illustrate and tell stories. And so you've all heard me say a million times, I was reading a book and a story. I mean, that, that and it happened this week. It, it happens all the time. I mean, it's not like I have these great amount of stories. I'm just consistently reading, and I'm like, that's a great story. That'll fit on Sunday. God did it again this week. So let me tell you a cool story. I had a friend, and he recommended a book to me about Winston Churchill. And I was like, I know a lot about Churchill because of World War II. And he's like, no, 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 this is, this is when Churchill was a prisoner of war. I was like, I didn't know that. Give me the book. So, uh, so uh, the Boer War, uh, late 1800s, and uh, it's basically in South Africa. And so you think about a young 22-year-old from England. Let me show you a picture. This is Winston Churchill. You think about, he's as far away, basically, as you can be from his home. You know, England, way up in the north of Europe, all the way to the south of Africa. He is very far from home, but he has a specific purpose in this war. He wants to get fame and glory because he wants to be prime minister someday, so he wants to get recognized. Well, he's not allowed. Uh, he had been in the army. He's not allowed this time, so he goes as a reporter. And uh, he's on a train one day, and, and the, the Boer men attack him, and, or attack the train, and he fights with them, and he is taken into a prisoner of war camp. Let me see that picture. So the X under it. These are all the prisoners of war. And so here's the future prime minister of England as a prisoner of war. And he's in this camp, and... Um, and they know who he is. They watch him very closely because his dad is very, very well-known, and it said some very uh, bad things about their government. And so they watch him very closely. Well, there's two other men, and they have a plan of escape. Well, he finds out, and he wiggles his way in, and they tell him what their plan of escape is. Is there a certain place that they could uh, climb over the wall and get to the other side? But they won't tell him the rest of the plan because evidently Winston Churchill cannot keep a secret. So he's going to tell everyone. So they're like, so they, they're afraid he'll tell everyone, and then when they, if they torture any of those, those men will spill what, what's happened, you know, what their plan is. So they don't tell him. So uh, on the night in question, Churchill goes over the wall, and he's waiting outside in some bushes, and he's waiting for these other two men to get over. The only part of the plan he knows has now been executed. He's on the outside of the wall. He has no other idea, because he's not thought about it, because he knew they did, he has no idea what to do. So they come to, the, they come to the gate at some point, and they're talking, and they're saying, we can't get over. There's a guard watching, we can't get over. And they're like, can you come back? Or he goes, can I come back? <laughs> and uh, they're, no, you can't because the guard's watching. So he'll catch you. You're on your own. So here he is, 500 miles from freedom with no plan. Three chocolate bars, no map, no knowledge of the terrain of, uh, I mean, he just basically knows he needs to go west. That's it. And so he, okay, well, I've got to do this. So he walks out of, out of town, 
And uh, during the night, there's a slow-moving train, and he's able to hop onto that train and get on and, and, and go uh, a little over 100 miles. But he's got to get off the train as the sun is about to come up because he knows that the train will be searched. So he jumps off the train, and he, and he spends the rest of the following day uh, in the wild, covered up, uh, waiting for nightfall. Now think about this for a second. He has no plan. He has very little resources. Uh, food or water. He has no idea of how to go or where to go. He's stressed to the max because every, I mean, he's been up all night and then every time he hears something, he can hear voices all around, you know, just people doing their, their thing where he's hiding. He, he thinks they're coming to get him. Stress level is in, in, incredible. Finally, he makes it through the day and at night, he's going to hop on a train again. So he goes up to where it's a pretty steep uh, incline so the train will be going slow and then it turns so he thinks, okay, it'll be going slow, I can jump on. And he's memorized the train schedule. And trains come about every three and a half to four hours. So he sits there and waits and waits and waits and is nervous. And train never comes. The people, the, the boars knew that he was going to try to hop a train. So they stopped all train traffic at night. So he has to start walking. And he walks and he walks and he walks. He's not making near the progress. And every step he's looking around. He can't hide in the train of what will come. So he, he walks a little bit. And then again, he hides during the day. Well, now he's on his, his second day and second night. He is, he is stressed out. He's not sleeping. He's not eating. So he comes up with a new plan. The trains are not going to run at night. So he comes up with a new plan. The, the, uh, the Zulu nation, the Africans in this area, do not like the Boers. The Boers still had uh, slavery at this time. The English had abolished slavery. So they, liked, they don't like the English, but they like the English better than the Boers. So his, his thought is, okay, I'll go to, go to one of these uh, Zulu villages and tell them who who I am and that I hate the boars too, and they'll, they'll help me. And he sees one, what he thinks is hey, these, these campfires off in the distance. He estimates two to three miles, so he starts walking that way, and he's just going to go up to him and plead his case, and uh, he, he says it's a lot further. Well, he has to walk uh, uh, almost 15 miles, and the reason is, is because they're not campfires, they're kiln fires, they're great big fires at a coal mine. So they're not people who would help him in any way. In fact, the Boers have kicked out all, almost all of the English people. And so he's now, he's basically in a village of, of a coal mine, and he's surrounded by his enemy, and they all know that he's there. And so what does Winston Churchill do? He does what you and I would do, even though he really didn't mean it. He got on his knees and he prayed. <laughs> he is, dear Jesus, please help me. I mean, I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm out of time, I'm out of luck, I'm out of ideas, please help me. And so he decides, I'm going to go up to a door, and I'm just going to kind of try to lie my way into it and plead my case. So he walks up to a random door, and he knocks on it. It's three in the morning. Man comes to the door. He tells him a lie for a little bit, but the man quickly gets the truth out of him. He says, I'm Winston Churchill. He said, I've, I've escaped. Uh, I'm English. And, and the man said, how did you know where I lived? He said, what do you mean? He said, I am the only Englishman in this entire village who owns a home. He said, the rest of the English have been kicked out because of the war. He said, they let me stay because I run this coal mine, and it's important for their war effort. And he, and, and he said, I'm the only one that had answered this uh, a door in this entire village who will help you. And he said, I will help you to escape. Now, I want to put in perspective what just happened to Winston Churchill after he prayed. 
uh, Bastrop County is 896 square miles, almost 900 square miles. They did a study later in his life, Winston Churchill, they had kicked out all the English. He literally prayed, and then he knocked on a door, and he knocked on the only Englishman who owned a home door in 110,000 square miles. One. You should go, whoa, God is good and answers prayer. God is good and answers prayer. Literally the only one in 110,000 square miles. He does lead him to freedom after that. It takes several days, and that's what the book is about. It's this idea that in dark moments, if you will not give up, if you will not say, well, God, I signed up for good. I signed up for easy. I signed up for convenience and contentment. If you will serve God, even in the dark moments, in the hard moments of life where, let's be honest, you, you still pray, but you're kind of angry when you pray. And, and, and if you've gone through this, uh, you're probably like me. More than once I have yelled at God. More than once I have been angry with God with the way he does it. But you are truly living out your faith within your heart. You say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I will not abandon you because you're not doing it my way. That make me God and you're God. I'm going to follow you. And the Bible says when we do that, it, the faith will rise up within our hearts. We've got to follow God in the dark days, in the days where he illuminates the Bible says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path in our hearts. Number four, we follow God with our minds, with our minds. He says in verse uh, 20, he says this, he says, above all, you know this. He says, you know this in your mind. We have to follow God with our minds and that in any situation, we put the Word of God and the way of God before our circumstances. And we evaluate that situation from those things, that we feed our mind with the Word of God. So we are able to go in and say, I know this. I know this about this situation. I might not be feeling it or experiencing it right now, but I know this about my situation. So I got to... Uh, uh, this is not a book. This is an easy one. So if you got uh, Disney Plus right now, there's a, there's a series on there uh, called Limitless with his uh, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, so uh, Mel and I have been watching it. I've been watching it a lot. Uh, it feels like she watches it every time, which about every three scenes, his shirt is off. And so, uh, so she looks at me, and I look, and I'm like, I hate that guy. Uh, so th he's the guy that plays Thor, if you're not familiar with that. So uh, he is really, really jacked. And, re you know, he's just looking there, and he's got these deep blue eyes, and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at him going, I get it, you know, I, you know, and so anyway, so the whole idea of the, of the, of the show is trying to learn how to, how to, uh, you know, maximize his life and different episodes of how to fast and do food and how to handle stress and all. It's kind of interesting. So anyway, but the very last uh, episode I watched this weekend is called Acceptance. And the idea of, of acceptance is, hey, we're going to get older. We're going to find the limitations of getting older. You know, we're, 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 uh, they, they put this suit on him, and he's not able to see or hear as well. He's not able, he's not as mobile. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea. And they put him in this kind of a fake retirement community of, of that. And uh, that's, I think that's an interesting idea. You know, like this is, this is part of life, is this getting older, and that you're not, you're not able to do some things that you can't. And it shows these people who've gone through these pretty tough experiences yet a really living life well. 
interesting. But the very last scene is uh, they bring in what they call a, a death doula, and she, she helps people learn to accept death um, and, and think about death. And so uh, that, that part I found fascinating because they asked Hemsworth at one point, what do you think happens after death? Now listen, if you're a Christian, you love this question. I mean, you could not have an easier—I mean, that's just teeing it up right there that you can, man, hit a home run for sure, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, whatever, you know, you'll do well in baseball. Uh, so, um, so, and he said, I don't know. I mean, he, he's not a believer. He's like, I don't know what happens. And so, so she's like, let me teach you. And so here she goes. And she's laying there, and they're all dark. Earlier, she had him lay in a casket. She's like, you're going to die. This is the end. You know, the, the symbol of death is this coffin, and you're now in this casket. And she's got this—all that's left is, is a, a, a candle in the room, so it's very uh, sparsely illuminated. And she's like, you're about to die, and all of your memories from your life, they're gone. And you're never going to make any new memories and your life and all the things that you live for, they're gone. And you're, you're over and you're done and it's complete. And then she, she uh, you know, the, extinguishes the candle and it's just dark and nothingness. And she's teaching him like, hey, we're just going to die and that's, that's it. That's it. And I'm, I'm telling you, for someone who's a believer, I'm like, that's so wrong. That's not my picture of death. The picture of death for me is not a coffin. It's a resurrection. It's an empty tomb. I'm going to die. Absolutely. But death is not an end where it's black and nothingness. Death is a doorway to a beginning. Death is a resurrection with Christ. And I will carry with me the memories of those ways that I served and Christ was shown in my life. I will make new memories in the life to come. I will live a fulfilled, rich life in Jesus Christ in the days to come. It is not an end in any sense of the word. It is the true beginning of my life in Jesus. When you believe in the God of the universe and the resurrection, it's not an ending. But we have to take our mind into that so that we can look at Here's someone who's much more influential than me. Here's someone who's much wealthier than me. Here's someone who other people listen to. Let's be honest. Here's someone better looking than me. I mean, in every way, he's got me beat except for one. I know what's happening after death, and it's not a stupid coffin. It is an empty grave. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You have to trust Jesus and follow Jesus with your mind. Every situation, every moment you bring him into. Number five, we serve God. We follow God with our mouth, with our mouth. Verse 21, no prophecy came by the will of men. Instead, men spoke from God. They spoke. You follow God with your mouth. You follow God with how you speak and what you say. And he says specifically, these things happened to us, but we didn't hold them in ourselves. We told others so that they may know, so that you can bolster the 
faith of other people when it happens to you. You speak to those people. You show them what God is doing. You give a witness and a testimony of the God of the universe in our life. He said, we want to make known to you. So in other words, it's a, it's a shallow, self-serving Christianity when you think, well, God just does these things for me, and it just comes and comes and comes. No, God does these things for me, and I'm a vessel of which they flow through. Tell others, I follow God with my mouth. I speak about the joy of following Jesus Christ. I invite my neighbors to church. I I tell my coworkers about the things that God is doing in my life. I use the opportunities that I have around me to speak for Jesus. The last about three, uh, I mean like two or three uh, just pages of the book is what happens to Churchill after he uh, is, is freed. He becomes a national hero. It's national news. It's a big deal. He, he secured, he lost a first election. He secured his second election because of it. Uh, but he goes back to, to uh, one of the commanders and they say, we'll do anything. And he says, I want, I want a, a commission in a regiment. In other words, I want to get into the fight. And so, so now he's a reporter and he's, he's an officer. And they go through several battles, very, very uh, quick in this part of the book. But the very last one that it talks about is when, when the English army goes into Praetoria, which is the, uh, the capital of the Boer nation. And they, and they uh, uh, win the war, uh, they overcome in that way. But the very last uh, scene is Winston Churchill going into the prison where he was kept, or the prisoners uh, that he was around, and telling them, you know, the English are here and setting them free. That's a good picture, isn't it? Why did God save you to go back to your people and tell them about salvation? Why did God change you and heal you to go to those who are the same, to go to those who are sick and to hurting, to go to others and say, let me tell you what God has done and see the captives get free. We serve God with our eyes. We look for Him moving. We serve God with our ears. We listen for Him speaking. We serve God with our hearts. When dark times come, we do not allow uh, the, the Bible and the Word of God to be extinguished in our light so that it may rise. We serve God with our mind. I know that my Redeemer lives. And we serve God with our mouth that we give a strong witness to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let us be followers of God. I invite you right where you are to bow your heads. I think we could like probably spend the rest of eternity in this sermon. You know, you serve God with your feet, another text says, and where you go. You serve God with your money and how you spend it. You serve God with your relationships and how you do that. I mean, we could go on forever. The biblical idea is not to go through each individual thing, but to give Jesus your life as Lord. Jesus, you are the leader. You are the Lord of my life. You believe that God was, uh, Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected The Bible says what we just read a second ago was talking about the the mountain of transfiguration. God spoke from heaven. He said, this is my son, talking about Jesus. I am well pleased with him. There's multiple times that God says this in the Bible. Once he was doing, this is the mountain of transfiguration. Once he was just doing ministry and he said that. Uh, Once at his baptism, uh, God said that. God could have said that every day of Jesus' life. 
to the people. God said, hey, today I'm pleased with Jesus. He never had a day where God would have had to say, today I'm a little bit displeased. He didn't follow me today. Jesus was perfect every single day. God saying, this is my son. I am well pleased. He lived a perfect, sinless life. So he could die for us because there are moments where God, you and I, we've displeased God and die for our sins and absorb the cost and the penalty for that. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Let him be the Lord of your life. Believe that he lived a perfect and sinless life. Believe that he was buried and he was raised. Once that is, look at your life. Who do you follow and how do you follow? Are you following Jesus with your eyes? Are you following Jesus with your ears? Following Jesus with your heart? Are you following Jesus with your mind? Are you following Jesus with your mouth? God, may you be glorified in all ways as right now we sing to you and celebrate God, the Savior of the universe. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.